Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, please stay with me. As always, it's a time of motivation, some inspiration, a whole lot of education, but no manipulation. This show is simply designed to remind you of age-old biblical truths that are there and introduce you to an in-depth way of studying and learning God's Word. As I said, no manipulation, no, no solicitation. My job is simply to verify and identify the plan of God for you. Hopefully, you will orient and adjust to the plan. That plan starts with the good news that Christ, the anointed Son of God, has redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. And our debt to God has been paid, and we are now free of the penalty of death and free of the power of sin. So if you receive Christ as your Savior, you are in effect accepting the offering that he made on your behalf. It's a free gift from God. The Bible clearly says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. Today on the FLOT line, the forward line of troops, F-L-O-T, we want to look at a study called The Natural Man, the disadvantage that the natural man has in the devil's world. Remember, the FLOT line, F-L-O-T, is about building a main line of resistance inside your soul so that you use the Word of God as a defensive perimeter to stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever overrun the command post of your soul, and that means to infiltrate your thinking and lead you into stress-related sins of any type. So it is possible to live in the devil's world free of stress. It is possible not to worry. It is possible not to be afraid. It is possible not to have guilt. It is possible to live free of animosity. It is possible to live this life called the Christian life. And that's my objective, to explain these things to you, hopefully, so that you will learn them and understand them, and you'll be able to have this wonderful life in Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the natural man, which is what we want to talk about today, let's take a look at what the Bible says in regards to the natural man. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Here, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, talks about the unbeliever as being a natural man, not a spiritual man. I don't know if you remember me talking to you about the three lives. A few weeks ago, I talked about the physical life, the spiritual life, and eternal life. The natural man has no spiritual life, and he has no eternal relationship with God. He will spend eternity in the lake of fire, not because... God's mad at him, not because God wants to punish him. That's not the reason. It's because he rejects the obvious claim that Jesus Christ is the anointed Son of God. So let's get some principles down. Who is the natural man? Who is he? One, he is the man or slash the woman who is not born again. That's who that is. The natural man is not born again. Remember Jesus telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was amazed at that in John chapter 3. And he said, it's impossible. I can't go back into my mother and be born again. 
And the Lord explained to him that it's a spiritual birth, not a physical birth. So point two, we are all born spiritually dead, and we're all minus a working human spirit. And this is the key to the spiritual life. You have to have a working human spirit. Point three, the human spirit is the immaterial part of man, and it's designed by God to convert information, to store information, and to utilize information regarding spiritual phenomena. That's the information found in the Bible. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, the soul and the spirit, and the joint and the marrow is a critic of thoughts and intents of the heart. In order to utilize what's in the Bible, then we must have a human spirit. This is what's designed by God to convert that information, to store that information, and utilize it in our spiritual life. And that's called wisdom, the wisdom of God. So point four, Adam was originally created trichotomous. Trichotomous. T-R-I-C-H-O-T-O-M-O-U-S. That means he had a body, he had a soul, and he had a spirit. Trichotomous. That's the way that he was created. In Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man from the soil of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. He had a body, he had a soul, and he had a spirit. So point five says, as a result of the fall and sin, both Adam and his wife Eve became dichotomous. Dichotomous, D-I-C-H-O-T-O-M-O-U-S, dichotomous. That meant they had only a body and a soul. The reason is because at the time of sin, they suffered spiritual death. And what is spiritual death? It's the destruction of the human spirit. No more ability to fellowship with God. They lost their human spirit and they acquired an old sin nature. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin... And so death then spread to all men because all have sinned. So Adam and Eve were born trichotomous, and when they sinned, their human spirit died. They died spiritually, which meant they were unable to have a relationship with God spiritually. God is a spirit. <clears throat> Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so that was not, they were not able to do that until Genesis 3.15 when God provided a redeemer. He sacrificed an animal as a redemptive act of forgiveness of their sin. However, they did have to leave the garden. They could not remain in an eternal state. So point six, thus the unbeliever, the natural man, is born in the line of Adam with a genetically formed old sin nature. And uh, it's passed down through the man in the act of procreation. That's why nobody has to sit a child down and teach him how to lie. No one has to sit a child down and teach him how to throw a temper tantrum if they don't get their way. It's their old sin nature. And it's always the job of the parent to break the will of that sin nature, to introduce that child to genuine humility, 
Genuine humility means they have respect for authority and they obey. If they don't, then you use enforced humility. And that's where God said, those that I love, I discipline, and sometimes I scourge. Sometimes we have to discipline our children to enforce the humility that they don't have genuinely. Genuine humility is what gives you the capacity to operate in life. So in our passage in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the one I read to you, it describes the human race as being sukikos, the Greek word sukikos, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S, sukikos. And that means soulish, soulish only. You see, you have mentality. You have the ability to think, logic, reason, comprehend, determine. You have volition. You have the ability to choose. You have a conscience, and that's a wonderful thing because your parents should program your conscience to protect you. And, of course, you have self-consciousness, which is awareness of self. All of this is part of your invisible soul, and that's actually the real you. Your thoughts, your intentions, your desires, your motives, they all make up the real you. That's why Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. The real you is the sum total of your thoughts, not what you look like on the outside, but what you think on the inside. In Jude one nineteen, the Bible says, These unbelievers, in parentheses, these are the ones who cause divisions. They are soulish, not having a human spirit. So an unbeliever has a body, he has a soul, but he's dead spiritually. He has no human spirit. Thus, at the point of salvation or regeneration, you and I, we receive the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, which indwells our dead human spirit, and we are literally made alive spiritually. That's how we are born again. When God the Holy Spirit indwells the human spirit, we are born again, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, Paul talking to the Thessalonians, may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul mentions all three, the spirit, the soul, and the body. So point eight, the fact that the human spirit exists is taught in many, many verses in Scripture like Job 32.8. But it is the spirit in man, that's the believer, the Christian, and the spirit of the Almighty that gives perception. So the Holy Spirit gives the human spirit the ability to perceive spiritual phenomena. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 25, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 7.13, for this reason... We had been comforted, and besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Titus had a human spirit born again by means of God the Holy Spirit. And in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both the joints and the marrow, and able to judge 
the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the mentality of the soul. So point nine, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to then teach our human spirit. That's why you have a Holy Spirit there living in you. And if it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach our human spirit, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Thus, the natural man, that unbeliever, the disadvantaged person, has no advantage in the devil's world. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 16 through 17. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's because Christ was going away. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, the natural man cannot receive him, because it does not see him and it does not know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Abiding with them was the ministry of the Holy Spirit and endowment, the same ministry that was throughout the Old Testament. And will be in you is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost with the resultant filling of the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ disclosed to the disciples that he was going to request the Father provide a Greek word here now, paraclete, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-E, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-E, a paraclete. That means a mentor or a coach. And he would pray that the Father would provide this mentor for the disciples once he departed the scene. So the fact that he said, you know him because he abides with you is a reference to the endowment ministry of the Holy Spirit, which was used throughout the Old Testament. And now, the Lord Jesus Christ is promising a different ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now he's saying he will be in you. And this is a reference to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, excuse me, in Ephesians 1.13, the Bible says, In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, that's the gospel, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit a promise. So this is the first thing the Holy Spirit does for the believer. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit takes place. This means that you are marked as a redeemed individual. It's just like uh, the old-timey way of making uh, uh, canning jelly or something. You put wax or paraffin over it and seal it, keep the oxygen out so it doesn't spoil or get moldy. Uh, some today we use a vacuum sealing. So when we're canning things, we don't use the wax anymore. But this is what it is. It's the Holy Spirit sealing you, protecting you, marking you. You are sealed by the name of God. And then we have the second mandate in Ephesians 5.18 that says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And now it's a different ministry. One is the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Anytime anyone gets saved, they're indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. But the filling of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> is a different process. You see, when we are saved, we are filled and sealed. But when we sin, we lose the filling. We do not lose the sealing. We lose the filling. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is quenched or grieved when we sin. And thus we use problem-solving device number one, the rebound technique. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. So it's essential that you understand how to maintain a relationship with God by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit when you're saved, but you may be out of fellowship with God. You may be doing all the right things, but you may be doing them in the wrong way. That's called human good. And it is possible for the believer in Jesus Christ to do a lot of human good. This will all be discovered at the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3, where the Bible says the fire will disclose it and every man's work will be manifest. Some of it will be wood, hay, and stubble and be burned up, and some of it will be gold, silver, and precious stones, and that's rewardable. The part that is burned up are all the good deeds you did in the name of God, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. You did it in the energy of the flesh, the same way a, an unbeliever would do good deeds, in the energy of the flesh. Anything done outside the filling of the Holy Spirit is human good. It's the energy of the flesh, and God will not and cannot reward you for that. So remember that in your study. If you want to have eternal rewards, you must maintain the filling of the Holy Spirit, as per Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells you, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit lives in you. So he dwells you, he dwells in you, and he desires to fill you. So you have a choice. The unbeliever doesn't have this choice. You can allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and thus lead you and uh, thus give you great wisdom through the word of God, or you can operate as a believer indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but not filled with the Holy Spirit, and that means you would have unconfessed sin in your life. So one, the unbeliever is at a distinct disadvantage in the cosmic system, that's the world, the cosmos diabolicus, since he doesn't have the insight or the foresight of the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. But you, on the other hand, point two, you have a wonderful opportunity to have a personal tutor, a personal coach, a personal guide to navigate in the devil's world. If, if you stay filled with the Holy Spirit and if you use the problem-solving devices and problem-solving device number one, what do I do with my sin? I rebound, 1 John 1, 9, is the means of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Problem-solving device number two is the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that is how do I handle divine good production as opposed to human good production. 
So if you use problem-solving device number one, if you confess your sin consistently when you're aware that you've sinned, either a mental attitude sin or a sin of the tongue or even an overt sin, God promises that he will be faithful and just to forgive you. And that is the secret to the filling of the Holy Spirit. The devil, O Lucifer himself, is a master deceiver, point three. And the way he deceives people is using organized religion to convince many, many people that they are indeed going to go to heaven since they are morally good people. And so they think, since I'm morally good, then that's going to get me some brownie points with God and I'll be going to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of any type of work, so that no one could boast about it. So the only way you or I will ever have an eternal relationship with God is by means of faith alone in Christ alone. Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When he cried out on the cross, tetelestai, or it is finished, that meant that the redemptive work had been accomplished. He lay his life down as a sacrifice for us. That's why the Bible says he who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him or by means of him. That's how we have a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ. When we receive him as our Savior, his perfect righteousness is accredited to our account, just like our sin was accredited to his account on the cross. So if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to have an advantage in the cosmos diabolicus living in the devil's world, my suggestion is you believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior and allow the Holy Spirit to indwell you and then stay filled with the Holy Spirit. But remember, the Holy Spirit needs ammunition. He needs ammunition to steer you and guide you, and the ammunition is the Bible. It's the Word of God, where it said it's alive and powerful. And so we're told to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed. We're told to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So without that studying and without that growing, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have the ammunition he needs to direct us, guide us, and lead us in the plan that God has for our lives. So the next principle I want to give you is with the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the human spirit that's been born again, you now have the opportunity to be refreshed by others who are like-minded, other individuals. And this is a wonderful thing. When you're fellowshipping with people that think like you think, that believe like you believe, it's a wonderful fellowship because the fellowship is not based around who we are or what we are or what we can do for one another. It's based around the truth of the Word of God, and we rejoice together in that truth. When someone changes what they believe, when someone moves away from the core doctrines of Scripture, then you don't have any more fellowship with them because you don't believe the same thing anymore. It's not a physical fellowship. It's a spiritual fellowship based on the Word of God. 
Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, 13. For this reason we have been comforted, and besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more for the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. So when you're around like-minded believers, you have a refreshed attitude, a refreshed spirit. Thus, you have a distinct advantage over the unbeliever who has no clue about what's going on in the cosmos, diabolicus, the cosmic system, or the devil's world. He doesn't have a clue. His only option is human viewpoint thinking. That means he has to depend on people or circumstances to provide his happiness. And what a shame. You know, unhappy people take their unhappiness with them wherever they go. And some people think that if they have certain things, they'll be happy. If they win the lottery, they'll be happy. Or if they get a new automobile, they'll be happy. Or if they have the right relationship, they'll be happy. There is something called temporal happiness that's true. It doesn't last, and it's not the joy that Jesus Christ, our Lord, talked about. The joy that he talked about is an incredible happiness, even in the midst of adversity. Remember what it said in Hebrews 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. There's no greater joy than being in the center of the plan of God for your life. That's the joy. So may I suggest to you that you accept the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him as your savior. If you will do that, and you will have a rebirth of your human spirit, and the Holy Spirit will indwell you and he will be your personal guide, your personal mentor, your personal coach and protector in the arena of contention called planet Earth. And the wonderful thing about it, it's a free gift from God. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you don't deserve it. It's a free gift. All compliments of the finished work of Christ on the cross for you. Have you ever accepted that gift? Have you ever made the most critical decision anyone could ever make? to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to put your faith alone in Christ alone, I suggest you try that. I suggest you tell the Father, I'm not depending on my good works, Father. I'm not depending on anything but the finished work of Christ on the cross, and I want to believe in him and receive him as my Savior. You can word it any way you want to word it, but express that faith to God in prayer, and he will answer and you will have eternal life. Because the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, host of The Flotline, saying thank you for being with me today. Thank you for listening to The Flotline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.